<laughs> hey, if you guys have your Bibles with you, would you open up with me to the book of Leviticus? And uh, we'll start off with chapter 22, and we'll get into chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 22, we're going to finish up. If you remember last time we talked about the uh, Leviticus, chapter 22 is going to finish up God's uh, design, call, rules for the priests. Remember we talked about, as we looked at the law, that depending on your position, there was more expected. The, the greater the position, the more the expectation. Uh, really, it's no different in, in our world today, and that's some of what we're going to be taking a look at in chapter 22. The expectation or the cleanliness rules and laws for the priests and the way that they were called to, to walk and to be an example to the people around them. So as we take a look, chapter 22, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to Aaron and his sons, that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord. So the first thing that the Lord is laying out for Aaron and his sons in chapter 22 is that they would be set apart. Now we've been talking about this concept, being set apart from something to something else. There was a greater degree and a greater call on Aaron and his sons, not only to be set apart from that which was part of the old life, but then to be so solely set out to uh, live their lives as an example before the Lord. So that the things that Aaron and his sons did caused greater problems when the people saw him. He's saying, so that you don't cause a greater degree or, or, or that you don't profane my name among the people. Why? Because the way they look at you is different than the way they look at everybody else. Right? And the same thing is true of us today. A lot of times people don't understand that, for example, the, you, you want to serve on the worship team. You serve on the worship team, everybody sees you. There's a higher degree of responsibility. Because now when everyone sees you, they see you and they, they wonder, why did they do this? Or are they doing that? Or, or what is this all about? What is God's word to us? Well, through the book of Leviticus, his word to us is, don't do anything that's going to profane my name. That you would be ye holy as I am holy. Remember, that section of scripture is repeated for us in Peter's epistles. That's New Testament thought. Be holy, be separated unto the Lord so that we might live our lives in such a way to bring honor and glory to him. Say to them in verse 3, whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence I am the Lord. So he lays out, listen, I want you guys to strictly follow the cleanliness laws. And we went over those things. What was the point or the purpose of the cleanliness laws? That which is clean can become dirty simply by being or touching that which is unclean. What does that mean in our lives practically? That means in my life practically, if, if I am putting my life and times, my person, if I'm doing that which is unclean, that which does not honor the Lord, if I am in outright sin or if I'm in an area that is a weight, a snare, that, that keeps me from being what everything that I can be for God. If I find myself 
in those places, and I try to touch the holy things of God, I'm going to fall short. I'm not going to understand. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to connect. You see, when we are living our lives in that way, we, we're, we have some kind of mask, and we're putting on our holiness mask. For example, if I was to have some kind of a, a horrible thing happen in my day, and I try to carry that in to teach God's Word, there's a separation between me and the Spirit. I feel it. And God wants me to seek His face. He wants us to go before Him and say, Lord, I need to be made clean so that I can touch the holy things of God. Well, today it's not necessarily implements in the temple, right? But I want to understand God's Word. I want to be able to impart God's Word. Well, the way that we do that is pressing into the Lord Jesus Christ and being anointed in the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. So the same things that separated the priests, won't they separate us? Doesn't the book of Hebrews say that you and I are called to be priests? Doesn't Peter tell us in his epistle again that we're a kingdom of priests? We put our faith and trust in God and he wants us to be what? His witnesses, right? So that people can look at our lives and see him. So he lays out for us, as we take a look at what he's, what he's telling them, listen, if you've got uncleanness on you, you're going to struggle with understanding and grasping a hold of the things which are holy. We've got to be washed. That's what he's going to talk about. We've got to be made clean. Look what he says. Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron, who is a leper or has a discharge, shall not eat the holy offerings until he's clean. So when we're dirty, now, leprosy we know throughout the scriptures is a, is a picture, a type of sin. But any type of uncleanness, that can be any kind of weight. Not necessarily, you know, I broke one of the Ten Commandments. What am I talking about? I'm doing anything that with, doesn't provide the strength I need to do what God wants me to do. In other words, I'm trying to run a, a race with weights on my back. That which is going to hinder me. Anything that's going to hinder us can be an example of, of that which is unclean in our life. And he, and he says, listen, don't partake until you're clean. Don't partake. Because you're not able to really enjoy or grasp all that God has for you in that meal when we're walking in uncleanliness. We need to be, again, made clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse... Or a man who has an emission of semen, or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he be made unclean, or any person by whom he would become unclean, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until the evening, and shall not eat the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. Folks, we saw Jesus Christ give us such a great example of that in John chapter 13. You remember as the disciples were all clamoring about who's the greatest of them, Jesus got up from the table, he girded himself with a towel, he grabbed a basin of water, and one by one he went around and washed the disciples' feet. What is he picturing for us? Well, we discover what he's giving us a picture of when he comes to Peter, right? Because when he comes to Peter, Peter says, hey, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. That's not happening. And the Lord says, well, if I don't wash your feet, then, then you have nothing in me. You have nothing to do with me. So then Peter said, wash my whole body. And the Lord says, no, you're clean 
Just your feet need to be washed. What, what is that like? It's like, guys, when we go through our lives day in, day out, don't we get dirty? I mean, just trying to walk through this world, we get dirty. We can get stinking thinking. We can have bad attitudes. We can have weights and snares and things that are a part of our life. And like the priests here, we are made unclean. And the Lord says, listen, don't try to, to get in, open up God's word and, and exegete the pages of scripture with the power of the Holy Spirit moving in your life until you make yourself clean. What do I got to do to make myself clean? What's the Christian bar of soap? First John 1 John 1.9, right? What does it say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He makes us clean. So the concept that he was teaching the priests in the Old Testament is the same concept today. That we are made unclean often in the same ways and we can find a cleansing a little bit easier. But look at the, the neat hope that he lays out for us. Listen. He says, and when the sun goes down, he'll be clean. Why? Because you get a new day. And what's new every morning? His mercy. His mercies are new every morning. So when we look at it, we want to be as his priests. We want to function in, a, in an attitude of holiness. Right? We want to be holy. Why? Because God said, I want you to be different from everyone else. That's what holy means. Set apart from the old unto the new. And as I get dirty throughout the day, I know two things. One, I can grab my Christian bar of soap, 1 John 1, 9, confess my sins and he'll forgive me. Yes. Two, his mercies are new every morning. No matter how bad that day was, we just get to wad it up and throw it in the trash and we get a new one the next day. So we have a new opportunity, right? A new opportunity to walk the way God wants us to walk. Well, that's the same thing he's telling the priest. Hey, you're going to be fine at evening. You're clean. You're clean. You're going to be clean because I'm going to give you a new day. When the sun goes down, he'll be clean. And afterward, he may eat of the holy offerings because it is his food. What did Jesus say about his food? He told us in the Gospels, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God is our food. What did they receive? Listen, the priests ate of the offerings that they offered at the tabernacle. A portion of those offerings belonged to the priests. The Lord saying, hey, you can't really grasp those offerings. You can't enjoy those things if you're not right with me. So first be made right with me, and then you can enjoy those offerings. Same is true for us. We can go through our week, guys, and we can say, I mean, I don't know if you guys ever get ornery. I get ornery. Kathy, I know it's hard to believe, huh? Kathy will tell me, Jackie, you, you cannot possibly have this kind of an attitude and go preach tomorrow. And I say, well, just watch. I can do it. <laughs> but she's right. Lord says, you lay that stuff down. You lay that stuff aside. You be made clean. That's no different for us. We want to be witnesses where we work. We want to be witnesses where we play. We want to be his witnesses wherever we find ourselves. And the Lord says, listen, if you're really going to partake of the offerings, of the sacrifice, of the things that I have for you, then be made clean. Be made clean and realize God wants us to be 
holy. Holy is not perfect. You get that, right? Holy is just set apart. Being set apart for his use. So we want to be made clean. Now he goes on and says, <clears throat> in, uh, in verse 8, Now whatever dies naturally or is torn by beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself. I am the Lord. So the priest could not eat roadkill. The regular guys could eat roadkill if they wanted to. God told the priests not to eat roadkill. Now that wouldn't have been a hard rule for me to keep. Very seldom do I drive by a rock chuck run over in the road and think, oh, I should bring that home for dinner. <laughs> so, I'm not going to eat it. But, they says in verse 9, They shall therefore keep my ordinance, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby. If they profane it, I the Lord sanctify them. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, some people, some priests... Because they don't care about that, they're not looking to be made clean, they'll die. We just read about it uh, in, the, in the book of, of Exodus, as we are, actually in Leviticus, as we were going through in the beginning. We're talking about uh, Nadab and Abihu, about bringing strange fire before the Lord, being struck down. Why? Because they, whatever they were doing, whatever their sin, whether it was a sin of presumption, whether they were drunk, the point is they were unclean, didn't care, didn't care about being made unclean, and they tried to serve before the Lord. And the Lord says, hey, I'm just going to move you out of the way because this is something that I've made clean, and I want you to be clean. I want you to be holy. I want you to be right. So he wants us to have that type of an attitude. Is it any different? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Doesn't Paul tell us that because we don't give honor to the Lord's table, some are sick among you and some sleep? That's what he said. Because you don't give honor to the Lord's table. Because we, we, our attitudes can be so messed up where we're just playing games with the Lord and it's, we don't have... That true heart before the Lord. We have that true heart. We come before the Lord, man, it's, it's all good. But if you try to play games, the Lord sees past your games. Sees past, past my games. And when he says, I want you to be holy, it's what he means. Be holy. Come out from among them. Don't be just like everybody else. But be different. Now he says in... In verse 10, no outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with a priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. And one who is born in his house may eat his food. So if he has a slave or if his slaves have children, they have the right to eat of the holy things. But no outsider, no outsider, no one who's outside of his immediate family is going to be able to partake of those things. And if the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she marries a Gentile, she shall not eat of the holy offerings. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat her father's food, but no outsider shall eat it. And if a man eats the holy offering unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. You know, as the Lord said, it doesn't really matter whether or not you sin in ignorance or not. It's still sin. It's still wrong. 
He said if they eat the, the, of the offering unintentionally, they didn't mean it. But it's still sin. It's still a problem. It still needs, needs to be dealt with. There's still things that need to occur. So there's restitution that is made for that. And they shall, that they shall not profane the holy offerings of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord, or allow them to bear the guilt of trespass when they eat their holy offerings. For I, the Lord, sanctify them. Now remember, we talked about, we've heard this phrase twice. I, the Lord, sanctify them. I, the Lord, sanctify them. What's he saying? He's saying that God does that work in your life that makes you clean, by which you become righteous. That's what sanctification is. Lord says, I'm the one who's going to do it. Do we do anything in our life that makes us more righteous? Folks, we're righteous based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are clothed in his righteousness when he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We bear his righteousness as a gift that he has given us. No different than what we're reading in the book of Leviticus. I, the Lord, sanctify you. I say, how did he sanctify them? He sanctified them by the blood of the lamb. How does he sanctify us? By the blood of the lamb. Jesus Christ. That one complete total sacrifice. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the children of Israel and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers in Israel who offers a sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his freewill offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. The Lord's saying, listen, I don't want your three-legged goat or lamb, the one that's sick, the one that's dying. Don't bring that as an offering to me. He wants the best. I want the first fruits. The Lord wants the first of what we have, the best of what we have, not what's left. If we wait to give the Lord what's left, there's never anything left. We want to give the Lord the first, the best, the best that we can give him. And that's what he's declaring to to the children of Israel here in verse 21. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. So the sacrifice had to be perfect. Had to be perfect. So, in the future, when the temple's built, they're going to inspect the lamb from the 10th of Nisan to the 14th of Nisan, especially in regard to the Passover. The 14th of Nisan is the Passover. So, they're going to inspect the lamb for four days just to make sure it doesn't have any spot or blemish. But you see, the priests, especially Annas and Caiaphas, they worked out a deal. You see, about the time of Christ, Annas and Caiaphas got themselves a group of lambs that were already pre-approved by the temple. So if you brought your lamb in, they'd be examined by the other priests and they'd find a defect. Oh, no, this one's got too many spots. It's got four spots on the left and three spots on the right. It's not balanced. It's got a defect. I'm sorry, but here we have some that are already pre-approved. You can buy one of these. Well, okay, we'll buy one of those. All right, well, we, we can't use... We can't use the Daenerys. We can't use that stuff with Caesar's picture on it. So go over there and exchange your money 
and then bring it over here. And over here where Annas and Caiaphas have all these other animals, you can choose for your sacrifice. So what did people start doing? Guys, they stopped bringing their own. And they just started coming with money in their pocket. Now I'm not offering a sacrifice to the Lord of my flock. I'm coming to the Lord and and getting ripped off by Annas and Caiaphas. So you kind of understand when Jesus went in and drove out the money changers, why it irritated Annas and Caiaphas. That was their money changers that Jesus chased out of there. The Lord only required that you gave the best of what you had. That was it. But that's man's way, isn't it? Take something of God and complicate it. Well, they did it with the Sabbath, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? A day created for man, man made for the Sabbath, or the Sabbath made for man, not man for the Sabbath, that we would have rest. And they developed somewhere in the neighborhood of 62 laws in the Mishnah to explain what work was. So you actually had to do more work to figure out what work was so that you didn't do work on the Sabbath. But again... Something that God gave, pretty simple, complicated by man. That's our way. God says, listen, just give me your best. That's his point. Give me the best. Don't give me the junk. Give me the best. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them in the altar to the Lord. It's interesting because when I was over at, at, at Calvary Chapel at Joshua Springs, frequently people would donate vehicles to us. I discovered something about the vehicles that were donated to us. Typically it was because the junkyard said, we won't take it. Oh, I'll give it to the church. I'm going to donate to the church, my, not my new car. My, my car where none of the doors open. It won't start. But hey, maybe you guys can use it for something. And we'd end up, you know, spending 75 bucks to have somebody tow it to the dump to get rid of it. What did God say? Don't give me your blind, your maim, your broken down, your all messed up. If you're going to give it to the Lord, give it to the Lord. Give him, give him the good. Give him, give him that which, which can be used. <clears throat> Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short. You may offer as a freewill offering, but for a vow it will not be accepted. So they could offer lame animal if it was a free will, but, but that's a free will offering. Free will offering was not required at any time. They could give it of their own free will, but it wouldn't be accepted as a vow. Peace offering wouldn't be accepted as a sin offering or a trespass offering. For those things, it had to be perfect. You shall... You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. Nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as the bread of your God, because their corruption is in them and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. He didn't want them to go buy lambs from Moab or Ammon and bring them and offer them to the Lord. It was to be from their flocks. Now, how did the children of Israel do with this? Well, hold your finger there and turn with me to the last book of the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, 
chapter 1. Down around verse 7, I think. Here's what the Lord has to say to his people. Uh, let's, let's back up in verse 6. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? At the end of verse 6. Verse 7. You offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. So in the book of Malachi, we see Malachi brings a charge against God's people. What were they doing? They're offering the blind, the sick. Hey, let's go figure out which one we're going to give to the Lord. Oh, hey, that lamb, that lamb over there, he's... He's limping. Something got a hold of him last night. Let's just doctor him up a little bit. We'll take give him to the Lord. And the Lord says, would you give that to your governor? Would you give that to your ruler? But you give it to me. He wants his people to be holy, set apart unto him. That pleasing God becomes their goal, their desire. By what I do, I want to honor the Lord. Is that where we are? Because if, if that's not where we are, if that's not where our attitude is, folks, we're unclean and we need to be made clean. We're, we're being held back by a weight from all that God has for us. Don't forget that the scripture told us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, with most of the children of Israel, God was not well pleased. That is the biggest understatement in the Bible. How many was he pleased with? Two in two million. I'd say with most of them, he was not well pleased. What was the difference? Two believed God, trusted God, knew that God could meet their every need, no matter how big the obstacles looked. Ten said there's no way we can do it. So the two million children of Israel followed the ten. And wandered in the desert for 40 years until that generation perished. And some of us wander in the wilderness today, not entering into the promised land. Now I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about that victorious Christian life. That's what the Jordan River indicates to us. Crossing the Jordan is entering into the victorious Christian life. Are you living a victorious Christian life? Are you, are you setting yourself apart from the old ways unto God and looking for ways to bless the Lord? By giving our best. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing to the best of our ability. Some abilities are better than others, right? But it doesn't make any difference. All God wants is your best, right? Remember the widow and her two mites? Jesus honored her greatly, didn't he? He said, truly, she has given more than everyone else. Because she gave out of her need. She gave that which would honor the Lord. And that's what she did. And so it's a, that's the blessing that God is calling us to. That he wants us to follow in the same way. He goes on now and tells us. Uh, in verse 27. When a bull or a sheep or a goat is born. It will be seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day thereafter. It can be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord. So it had to be eight days. Had to be eight days old. Whether it's a cow or a ewe. Do not kill both her and her young on the same day. 
And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you offer it of your own free will. Even then, if you want to give a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you gave it of your own free will. God calls us to be thankful. We need to learn to be thankful. On the same day it shall be eaten, you shall leave none of it until the morning. I am the Lord. Why? Because in our thanksgiving, we need to learn that God is all we need for our satisfaction. He'll satiate us. Remember the children of Israel, when they would go and they would gather the manna, there were those who disobeyed Moses when he said, listen, only take what you need for today. Tomorrow there'll be more. Now, the first couple of times, maybe people aren't really sure. Well, maybe the Lord's not going to supply my needs tomorrow. Maybe God's not going to satisfy me. So I'll try to gather up as much as I can here. But what happened with all the stuff that they gathered extra? It all rotted. It all rotted. One of the things I discovered rather quickly in life is I could have a lot of stuff, but, but if, if I was just all about the stuff, it just all was rotten. It was rottenness, leanness to my soul. It did me no good. It did me no good. That I wanted to be in that right place with the Lord. Thankful for the things that I had and allow God to be my satisfaction. He gives me what I need. If He didn't give it to me, guess what? I didn't need it. And that's where we got to be. That's where we got to stay. That God will give us that which satisfies. Therefore... You shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Again, it's God that makes us clean. We don't make ourselves clean. God makes us clean. He sanctifies us. He makes us righteous. Verse 33, who brought you... Out of the land of Egypt to be your God, I am the Lord. So in the end here, the Lord says, listen, here are the reasons for you to honor me. Here are the reasons for you to honor me. What did he say? He said, based on who he is, I am the Lord. Based on what he is, I am holy. Based on what he is doing, sanctifying you and I. And based on what he has done. He brought them out of the land of Egypt, speaks of redemption. Because of who he is, because of what he is, because of what he is doing, and because of what he has done. That's why we want to honor the Lord. That's why we want to honor the Lord with who we are and what we're all about. Now, as we close the door to chapter 22, you come into probably one of the greatest examples of the prophetic a work of God in pattern through the feasts of Israel uh, throughout the scriptures. Chapter 23, the Lord's going to lay out for the children of Israel seven feasts. Seven feasts of the Lord. He's going he's to tell them when to celebrate them and, and give us a basic uh, overview of what they're all about. He'll give greater instruction later on in the book of Deuteronomy. He's going to give them three feasts in the spring, three feasts in the fall, And a weird one right in the middle. Now when we look at these, here's what we want to realize. Each one of the feasts is given first for a commemoration. It commemorates something. It was an opportunity for them to teach their children. Based on the experiences that they had. But each commemoration also anticipates its fulfillment in the future. Each one is prophetic. 
The first three that happened in the spring each speak toward the Lord's first coming. The weird one, sort of in the middle, speaks of the Lord's first coming. The last three speak of his second coming. The seven feasts are going to picture. Now, it's interesting because listen to what the Lord says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. That word in the Hebrew for convocation literally means rehearsal. These are rehearsals. Rehearsals for what? Rehearsals for what's yet to come. Rehearsing what took place in the past and God's deliverance, what will take place in the future in Christ's deliverance. So as we take a look, these are all rehearsals, rehearsals that God is going to work through them. And before he begins, he's going to talk to them about the Sabbath. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, a holy rehearsal. What's he rehearsing? Well, Jesus tells us what they're rehearsing. Who is our Sabbath rest? Jesus Christ. Come all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? The Sabbath was rest. Where do we find rest? In Christ. Apart from Christ, there is no rest. They were, they were practicing, rehearsing the rest that we have in Christ Jesus, that we experience in him. That's why the Sabbath is fulfilled today. It's fulfilled in Christ. It's fulfilled in him because he is our rest. He is our rest. So he lays out first the Sabbath. And then in verse 4, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Guys, it means that these feasts happen at exactly the time God said. And if you ever wondered why the Jewish calendar and the Jewish dates are all kind of messed up and different, this is why they're messed up and different. Because the Jewish calendar is all set as on a lunar calendar. Lunar. Why? Because the Lord would set these months based on the new moon. So when in 701 BC, which by the way is kind of interesting, 701 BC, all the calendars on the world changed. All of them. 701 BC. All of a sudden the lunar calendar was 11 and a half days short. Something happened. Something took place. They began in their lunar calendar that to add at the time of Hezekiah, which we're studying the book of Isaiah, they began to add a leap month. Certain times of the year, certain years, different numbers of years, they would add an extra month in the Jewish calendar. Other than that, they would run on the, the 12 months that, that, they, that they ran, 12 30-day months. So as we take a look, we'll see the Lord gives them exactly the same date. So that the date that God gives them, it always happens right on time. Based on the new moon for that month, they begin to count. They would come on the dates that they were to come on. So listen, these are their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. The 14th day of the first month. So this is talking about 
what you would look up today online as their religious calendar. The religious calendar begins with the month of Nisan. Nisan became the first of their month. Before that, it was Tishri. Tishri was their first month, but it became a seventh month unto them because the Lord said that the 14th of Nisan shall be the first of months. The Passover. At the Passover, God indicated that. On the 14th of Nisan, the 14th day of Nisan shall be the Passover. Okay, well, the Passover, what did it commemorate? Well, we remember, right? We studied in the book of Exodus. It was when the blood was applied to the doorposts of each home. And when the blood was applied to the doorposts of each home, the death angel passed over that home. Passed over that home. You remember in the book of Exodus, somewhere around chapter 4 in the book of Exodus, the Lord said, Israel is my firstborn. There's another one called his firstborn too, huh? Jesus. And on the firstborn, what, what, what happened at the Passover? Who was dying? Firstborn, right? The firstborn was that which died in every home that did not have the blood applied. And not only did they apply the blood, what did they eat? They eat the lamb of that sacrifice, right? They sacrificed the lamb, took the blood, put it on the doorpost over top and on each side. The door would have been closed as they did that. We've talked about it before. It puts a cross on their door. Then they would take the lamb and they would have to eat, ingest the lamb all that night. Because God said, and you eat with your clothes on and eat standing up. Why? Because as soon as this meal's done, basically you guys are out of here. You guys are going to be going. So they had to have the blood applied and they ingested or ate the lamb. What was, what was all that picturing? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? When did Jesus Christ enter into Jerusalem? On the 10th of Nisan. What happened on the 10th of Nisan? The Lamb was inspected. For how long? Four days. When did He die? 14th of Nisan. What day is that? Passover. Passover. He's the Lamb. And the blood of Jesus Christ has to be applied to the doorposts of our life. But what else has to happen? We have to ingest it. What did Jesus say in John chapter 6? Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. It's not just, oh yes, I, you, you couldn't just at the Passover say, oh look, I, I believe. I believe that, that, that there's a God. That didn't apply blood to the, the doorposts. That didn't make the lamb go down. I had to actually take the blood and apply the blood. Is the blood applied in your life? Have you applied the blood of Jesus Christ in your life? Have you ingested what he is, who he is? Has he become a part of you? Isn't that what happens when you ate the lamb? Becomes a part of you, right? Becomes a part of the muscle, becomes a part of the fiber, becomes a part of your body. Is Jesus Christ a part of your body? That's what the, the Passover commemorated. The Passover from Egypt. It anticipated Jesus Christ. Who? on the exact same day as Passover, fulfilled the Passover. First coming, right? First three feasts. By the way, the Passover was not one of the required feasts that Jewish males had to attend. But the next one is. The next one, he says, 
And on the 15th day of the same month is a feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. He says, now on the first day you will have a holy convocation. You'll do no work, no, no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work in it. It began with rest and with rest the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, we talked a little bit about this when we talked about Christ in the Passover. It was the next day. What happened the next day? The next day, what they would do is they'd go through the house, they'd do a search for leaven, and they would always hide a little leaven somewhere for the family to find. They would find that leaven, they would take it outside of the house to a bonfire somewhere in the town, and they would cast that leaven, casting out what was leaven a picture of. Leaven was always a picture of sin. Why? Because it puffed up. So they removed the leaven, put it out. What else happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread? You remember when, if you had an opportunity to watch about the Passover Seder, they had something they did with the, called the Afikomen. You remember the Afikomen? For some reason at the Passover meal, they have a bag. One bag. Inside that bag, three loaves of unleavened bread. One, two, three. They open up that bag and they pull out the middle loaf. The middle piece. The matzah. That flat, looks like a flat cracker. They take it out and they break it in half. And they take the broken half and they wrap it in linen, in a linen bag, and they bury it somewhere in the house. They hide it. Later on, they tell the children to go find it. And they go find it and bring it back. You know the interesting thing about afikomen, you do, you do a little bit of a study on the afikomen. Afikomen is the only Greek word in the whole Passover. Everything else is Hebrew. Why, is, why afikomen? Depending on who you ask, if you do a, a, a to date, if you go by today what they say, they say that afikomen means that which comes later. But if you break it down, right down to the roots, afikomen means... I came. Interesting, isn't it? You ask them, what does that bag indicate with the three pieces of bread? What is it? Oh, it's the priesthood, the Levites, and the people. Oh, okay, well, how come the the Levites are taken out and broken? We don't know. But if it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it makes a whole lot more sense, doesn't it? For Jesus Christ was broken, wrapped in linen, and buried. That would occur on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Often the Feast of Unleavened Bread is considered around the same time because it's the day, the next day after Passover. The next day, the next day when that, when that bread is wrapped in linen and buried. What happened the next day after the Passover? What did they do? They brought Jesus down off a cross, wrapped him up, buried him in the ground commemorates their, the children of Israel leaving the promised land in a hurry, getting out of that place, looking forward to, to something new. Something new is about to take place. And at the same time, when they were celebrating that, Christ was in the ground, wrapped in linen, waiting for something new. Commemorates and anticipates commemorates 
and anticipates that first coming of Jesus Christ. When we look at the matzah, we see the matzah striped, just like Jesus Christ was striped. By his stripes we are healed. The matzah has square holes in it, just like the square nails that would have been driven in his hands and feet. Same way, speaking of the bread from heaven, the true bread from heaven, Jesus Christ. Now, listen, he goes on. And the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 9. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priests, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. It's called the Feast of First Fruits. Well, when is it? The day after the Sabbath after Passover. The day after the Sabbath after Passover. It commemorates the harvest. It celebrates the beginning of a harvest looking forward to a greater harvest. What did it anticipate? Well, you tell me. What was the day after the Sabbath after Passover? Passover, the Sabbath would be that Saturday. The day after Saturday is Sunday. What happened the Sunday after Passover? Was there a harvest? Jesus rose from the dead. Right? It commemorated a harvest looking forward anticipating a greater harvest. Has there been a greater harvest of souls after Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Sure. Literally, guys, and, and sometimes, often, I think we get, we get caught up in thinking that the first resurrection and the second resurrection speak of a particular day, when in reality what they speak of is a category. Those who are a part of the first resurrection are resurrected unto life. Those who are part of the second resurrection are resurrected unto death, to hell. Jesus Christ begins the category of the first resurrection when he rose from the dead exactly on the day of the feast of first fruits. 17th of Nisan. Three days in the ground. By Hebrew reckoning, Jesus rose from the dead, fulfilling the feast of first fruits. These are holy rehearsals. As you do these feasts, they were picturing what Jesus Christ would come and do. Guys, when we study the scriptures and Matthew says things, or Paul says things like, this was spoken of in the scripture, and you and I were looking and we're thinking, where? Where is it in the scripture? Maybe they're pointing to the holy convocation. Maybe they're pointing to the feasts that spoke about the fact that Jesus Christ would come, that he would die, that he would be buried, that he would rise again. Because that's what the feasts indicate to us. The feast of the first fruits. Oh, but we're just getting going. We're just getting started. We're just getting started on what Leviticus 23 has for us. Take it, check it out. On the day, that Sabbath, when the priest is waving the sheaves, women were on their way to the tomb that was empty to see Jesus Christ risen from the dead. It's incredible. Not near the Feast of First Fruits, 
on the feast of first fruits. He died on Passover. He was buried during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now keep in mind, the Feast of Unleavened Bread wasn't one day. What was it? Seven days, right? From the day after all the way through. Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, what's, what's the next one? Remember I told you there was one in the middle, a little bit weird. But let's, let's talk about this one. Verse 12, And you shall offer on that day, when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah, of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statue forever throughout all your generations and in all your dwellings. You know what's interesting? They didn't offer a sin offering. Didn't have to offer a sin offering. Why not? Because it was anticipating the fact that the sins were already paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. By the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, their sins were paid for. This is a free will offering, the burnt offering for a sweet smelling aroma unto the Lord. Now, verse 15. Now you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, okay, Feast of First Fruits, from the day after Sabbath, that's Sunday. From that day that you brought the sheaf and the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Seven Sabbaths. That's 49 days, right? Seven Sabbaths, 49 days. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So you go 49 and you go the day after. What day is that? If I go the day after a Sabbath, what day am I? Sunday. I'm on a Sunday. 50 days after the, the festival of, uh, or the feast of first fruits, 50 days after that point, I come to the next feast, the feast of Pentecost. Called the feast of weeks. Why is it called the feast of weeks? Because they had to count seven weeks and a day to get to the day. And what did the feast of Pentecost commemorate? Well, the rabbis tell us that the feast of Pentecost or the feast of weeks commemorated the day that Israel was birthed. They were born on this day when 50 days after the children of Israel left Egypt, they came to a mountain called Mount Sinai, where God spoke to them with his own voice. He spoke to them with his own voice, and he spoke to them the Ten Commandments. People couldn't handle it. There was fire. There was smoke. The ground shook. And the children of Israel were given the law. Moses came down the hill with the law on that day. He came down to present the law to the children of Israel. And he found the children of Israel already breaking the law. And on the day that the law entered in and the children of Israel were born, the law already broken, 3,000 souls died. Keep that in mind. That's what this feast commemorates. The giving of the law, the birth of a nation. So as we take a look at it then, let's see what they're going to be doing. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah, and they shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with 
What did it say? Leaven. You know how many of the seven feasts have leaven? One. Why do they have leaven? What do the two loaves commemorate? Well, if you were to ask the rabbis, the rabbis say the two loaves commemorate the two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. With leaven? The Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. So, what do the two loaves commemorate? What do they really mean? What do they really speak of? Perhaps, Jew and Gentile. Because on this day, not on a day near that day, on that exact day, there's going to be a new person created of the two there will be the church former Jews former Gentiles now made one in Christ Jesus do we have leaven in us oh yeah do we really have to ask that question yeah we have leaven in us they had these two loaves now they believed the two loaves were speaking of the law but when you ask them why do they have leaven in it today you go to israel and ask they'll say i don't know not really sure imagine that imagine that what's god trying to tell us what's god trying to say then it says they are the first fruits where they are the first fruits to the Lord. Well, wait a minute. I thought the first fruits, the feast of the first fruits was the first fruits. Now, that comes at the beginning of what's known as the barley harvest. The barley harvest. The feast of weeks comes at the wheat harvest later in the year. Actually, 50 days later at the beginning of the wheat harvest. That should remind us of a story. In fact, if you like to spend any time in the scriptures at all, it should remind you of a story of a Jewish woman and a Gentile woman bound together, going back home. It's Ruth and Naomi. You want to take a guess what book is read to the children during the Feast of Weeks? Book of Ruth. Huh, imagine that. A Gentile bride... And a Jewish mother, the Jewish mother, because of the Jewish mother, the Gentile bride is going to be introduced to God through her. Because of her relationship with the Jewish mother, they're going to go back home. And when they go back home, what are they going to do when they get there? They're going to be a part of gleaning the harvest. Oh, interesting, because as we take a look at this, look what happens next. Verse 18, you will offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull, two rams. They will be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offering, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. And you will sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of the peace offering. The priest will wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priests. And you shall proclaim on that same day that it is a holy convocation, a holy rehearsal unto you. You will do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings 
throughout your generations. Verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of the field when you reap. Nor shall you gather any gleaning from the harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Isn't it interesting as the Lord lays out the date when the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost is supposed to take place, that he then tells them, hey, remember not to harvest the corners, which is the whole plot in the book of Ruth. Ruth, Gentile bride, meets her kinsman redeemer. Who was her husband? Her husband was Boaz. Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, the one who could redeem her life. Who does Boaz a type of for you and I? He becomes a type of Christ, our kinsman redeemer. Why did Jesus have to be a man? So he could put his hand in our hand. Why was he God? So he could put his hand in the Father's hand, bridge the gap between us, be our kinsman redeemer. Fully God, fully man. He could be the substitute sacrifice for both parties. Where do we get the idea for that? The book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. Where a Gentile bride marries the kinsman redeemer and has a child. Her child's name is Obed. And who raises her child? Naomi. Hmm. Now who comes from Obed? Obed is the father of Jesse, the father of David, the father of the Messiah. Who is going to introduce Naomi, Israel, to their Messiah? The Gentile bride. What is it that the scripture indicates to us? That when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, the blindness will be lifted from the Jew. They will come to know the Mashiach, the Messiah, based on the relationship of the Gentile bride with her groom, Jesus Christ, and we, the bride of Christ, and Israel, Naomi. All commemorated by the Feast of Pentecost. Interesting. Now, something else happened on Pentecost, it seems like, didn't it? So we have Jesus dead or dying on the cross, Passover, buried in the ground, Feast of Unleavened Bread, rising, the Feast of First Fruits, going to the Father and telling the disciples to wait until they have been what? Endowed with power, right? One of the feasts that every Jewish male was required to be at was the Feast of Weeks, Feast of Pentecost. So they were there in the upper room, right? One commemorating the birth of a nation. The second commemorating the birth of the church. On one, they remember the giving of the law and the fact that 3,000 souls were lost. But on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved. Coincidence? Don't believe in them. God wins? Absolutely. That on the day of Pentecost, not near, not around, but when the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 says, had fully come, the Holy Spirit came upon the children of Israel. And what did people hear? 
They heard these disciples speaking in tongues. They heard them in their own languages. If you will, the voice of God. How do you think God speaks? you think God has a particular language he uses? If God's speaking to someone in Russia, does he talk to them in English? Hmm. If God was speaking to someone in Kenya, does he, does he speak to them in Russian? No. You think when God speaks to people, they hear him in their own language? Just like the voice of God from Mount Sinai? The rabbis say that when God spoke from Mount Sinai, he spoke simultaneously in 70 different dialects. That's their tradition. Why do they say that? They say that because they say that that's how many dialects were on the earth. And God spoke in every one of them. So that people would be without excuse. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but certainly we see the, the, the voice of God through the 120 disciples that were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. What was over their head? Tongues of fire. What was all over Mount Sinai? Fire. Same, same. One commemorating that which God did in the past, anticipating that which was yet to come in the future. Fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. Just like they practice every year. But there's even more news, right? There's three more feasts. Three more feasts. We're not going to get a chance to talk about them tonight. But let's lay them out for you. Briefly. First one, yet to come. Feast of Trumpets. Trumpets, trumpets. Seems like there's something about a trumpet in the second coming, isn't there? Trumpet, trumpet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, don't worry, we'll get to it next week. After the, the Feast of Trumpets, that's speaking of something yet future, right? Dealing with the second coming. Then we have the, the next feast, which is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Do you know that seven days prior to the, the Day of Atonement, they called Yomim Noreim. You know what it was called, the seven days prior to the Day of Atonement? The seven days of affliction. I don't, don't worry, we're going to talk about it. Not this week, but we're going to talk about it. Yom Kippur. An uh, uh, event that's going to take place yet future. Commemorates... The past looks forward in anticipation to an event yet to come. And finally, we have the Feast of Sukkoth, the Feast of Tabernacles. When the children of Israel would go outside and they would build for themselves tents, they would build for themselves tents that they would go live in, live under. It came during the beginning and the early rains. It spoke of a time when they were getting ready to enter into a special place. A special place that they had been traveling toward, some of them, their whole life. And they get to commemorate it, which anticipates moving into a place they've been looking forward to for a long time. But we're not going to talk about that this week either. So hopefully we can wet our whistles looking forward to a very exciting chapter, guys. Very exciting chapter in, in Leviticus chapter 23. So we looked at the four feasts that have already been fulfilled. 
not near the date on the date. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting, isn't it? I wonder about the other three feasts. I wonder. Interesting. Something to chew on anyway, isn't it? Something to chew on anyway. So isn't it cool? Let's make sure we got it down. Jesus, on the cross, on the day of Passover, buried during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, rose again on the Feast of Firstfruits, not near it, on the Feast of Firstfruits, 17th of Nisan. Oh, by the way, there's something else that happened on the 17th of Nisan. The Bible says on the 17th day of the seventh month, which was what Nisan was before God made it the first of months, that Noah's ark came to rest on Mount Ararat. On the same day, Noah started a new life. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Interesting, isn't it? Hmm. Coincidence? I don't think so. I don't know. We'll talk about that maybe later. But he rose from the dead on that day. And then the fourth one, 50 days later, the Feast of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was breathed into the life of the church and the church was born, commemorating the day that Israel was born, anticipating the birth of the church, when two, Jew and Gentile, will be made one in Christ. Isn't it exciting? It's incredible. I look forward to what we'll, we'll talk about next week as we take a look at the next three feasts. And uh, it's interesting that it all coincides with Sunday morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter. I mean, wow. God knew what he was doing when he put all this together. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. Thank you so much that we can be together in this place. We thank you for the... The truth of your word, God, is so incredible to look at all these things and, and realize, man, this is not like any other book on the planet, man. I mean, we're reading things written in Leviticus two, 3,000 years ago, man, or 3,000 years before Christ, 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years total. And they all coincide. They all meet. They all, they all fit together like pieces of a puzzle. Man, it's awesome. Lord, we thank you for this time that we could spend studying this incredible book, Father, the very words of God, laying out a holy convocation, holy rehearsals for his children that they would act out for you and me, that we could see the plan of God performed in these seven feasts prescribed by God on the exact days. Wow. Father, we thank you. We praise you. And we look forward to what you're going to show us in the upcoming weeks as we continue to study. We lay it out and we ask, Lord, that you would help us make that decision to be set apart, holy unto you, focused on you, laying aside all the weights and the sin that so easily ensnares and let us run with endurance the race that is laid before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Oh man, I can't wait to see you, Lord. Can't wait to be with you. Until that time, give us the strength we need to occupy until you come. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.